0: Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, TaylorMade Golf, and golf pride now here's your host chris mascaro
1: hey good evening folks happy master's week to you finally right thank you so much for being here and joining me tonight on next on the t i'm your host chris mascaro and boy have i been looking forward to tonight's show and this week right going all the way back to april The Masters is by far my favorite tournament, and Augusta National is my favorite place on the planet. As I've said many times, if you could pick me up and plop me down anywhere on the planet, I'd want it to be at Augusta National. I'm a little sad, though, i got to admit, because this is the first time since 2001 that I won't be on the property at some point during Masters Week. So I'll miss that very much. I hope we get a vaccine soon. I hope I'm not talking about the same thing that I'm missing it again come next April. So very much looking forward to tonight, very much looking forward to the tournament. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody about one of our sponsors, The Macklemore, which is a fantastic community resort and golf course. Just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. Please go online to themacklemore.com to see what a fantastic course they have up there. It's co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our other friend Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking out the course online at themaclemore.com. All right, on to tonight. And my first guest is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Of course, with all my guests tonight, right, we're going to be talking about the masters and what they expect to see. I'll specifically talk to TP about Bryson DeChambeau and, and the concern that Bryson's going to break the course with his monster drives. I saw an interview with Sandy Lyle, and Lyle said the longest iron Bryson hit on his second shots into any of the greens, including the par fives, was a seven iron. He also added that Bryson flew the green on the uh, 350-yard par four third hole with a three wood. We'll hear what TP thinks about all that and a whole lot more when he joins me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from the host of the Augusta Golf Show, John Patrick. Had the privilege of having John on the show earlier this year. He's been covering the Masters since the mid-80s, so certainly want to get his thoughts, insights, and favorite memories. Plus some of his favorite pieces of memorabilia that he's been able to collect over the years. Who he likes besides Bryson DeChambeau, of course, getting his thoughts on Bryson potentially breaking the course as well also want to hear about the impact of not having patrons on the the local economy there in Augusta. What does that cost the local area? And plus, not having patrons on the course, what's that going to mean to the players as well? Looking forward to having John back on the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from Mr. Ben Wright. No one has experienced more Masters history firsthand than Mr. Wright has. We'll go back to 1975 when Vin Scully was a part of the Masters broadcast team with Mr. Wright, Pat Summerall, and Ken Venturi. We'll hear what it was like teaming up with those guys. Plus his memories from Gary Player's victory in 1978. Plus the highs and lows of broadcasting the Masters' wins and struggles of his friend Seve Biosteros. We remember Seve's great wins. We also remember his struggles on the back nine in 86. So, We'll get his memories of that and a whole lot more when Mr. Wright joins me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Teen. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You guys know I always like to start the show by saying hello to my good friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence and reminding you about their great golf shows. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways. You can find his show on GolfTripX.com or over on AudioboomStitcherPlayer.fm. He and his co-host Darren Bunch are going to let you know about great places to go stay and play around the U.S. and Canada. They're also going to let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. So, folks, if you love golf and travel, their show marries those two things better than any out there. They're fantastic hosts, and both of those guys are even better people. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern tea time. Folks, Matthew is fantastic, and so is the show, and so are his guests, and it includes one of our good friends, Perry French, typically leading off the show every week. You can stream his show by going online to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. Tune in, folks. I know you're going to love the show. And, folks, this segment of Next on the T is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls, played by Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, I know you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TP5 and TP5X. It's available in high-visibility yellow. You guys know I love the yellow golf ball. Are you the next to make the switch? Go online to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now here to kick off the show just like he does every other week is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. You can visit TP this winter at his new home at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Fort Myers. He's also built a great indoor facility at his home in Naples with all of the latest technology and gadgets. If you won't be anywhere near the west coast of Florida but still want to get lessons from Tom, you can download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing, and he'll respond with all kinds of great golf content and ways to improve your golf swing. You can also send him a question via his website, tompatry.com, and you can subscribe to his newsletter while you're on there as well. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. Has his own show Thursday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on Instagram Live with so many great guests. You really got to check out the show, folks. Put it down on your calendars. Make sure you tune in. And it's always great having him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. What's up, TP?
2: Christy Boy. (laughs) <laughs> How are you, my friend?
3: Oh man, I'm I'm doing great. I'm just pulling into my paradise. Uh we spoke earlier today that I you know, we have a tropical storm down here, so I was able to escape the practice for a couple of days and I'm just pulling in the white beast right now into Key
2: West Florida. Wow. It's always good to be you, Tom. It's good to be me right now, Chris. <laughs> no doubt.
1: I, so I, I, get, I get that you're not on the practice team back in, in Fort Myers, but uh, give us an update. How are things going there at Crown Colony?
3: You know, Chris. In all seriousness, uh, you know, I've, as you know, I've had, I've been blessed with a lot of really, really good gigs in my career. Um, you know, Friars Head, Westchester Country Club, uh, to name a few. But I have never been made made to feel more welcome than I have at Crown Colony the last three weeks. My first three weeks at the club, I I uh they've really been terrific. Open welcome you with open arms. membership's been highly responsive. Uh
2: David Kent the GM, the entire board really made me feel welcome and it's, uh I'm really enjoying it very much.
1: So Tom, all eyes are on Augusta National. Now it's finally Masters Week and, and I obviously wanna get a lot of your thoughts and insights and one of the biggest questions is gonna be around Bryson DeChambeau and Is he going to go in there and overpower the golf course? I saw an interview in a a practice round that he played with Sandy Lyle, and according to Lyle, Bryson didn't have anything longer than a seven iron into any hole. And I'll just give you a couple of of examples of of how he played a couple of holes. First hole, he had a sand wedge into. The third hole, 350-yard par four, flew the green with a three wood. On the par fives on the front nine, 575 is the uh, is the par five second hole. Had an eight iron into that one, 570 uh, yard par five eighth hole, seven iron. On 13, he hit three wood, seven iron. On 15, he hit driver, nine iron. I mean, for crying out loud, TP, is this guy just going to absolutely go in there and dominate this course?
3: Well, Chris, I don't know what a big deal. Sandwich on number one is because I always have Sandwich after my third shot, so I'm not sure that's a big deal. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, in all seriousness, I, you know, I saw the same interview with Lyle, and then I also looked at the interview uh, for the results when he played professional with Tiger, Freddie, and JT, and there were similar numbers. Um, you know, I, I'm having a hard, hard time wrapping my head around this whole thing, Chris. You and I have been on that property several times. We know how long number one is up the hill. Uh, we certainly know, you know, the second hole very well, and then driving it on the third, driving in over the third green with the three wood. I, I I don't understand where this whole thing is going. Uh, it's really hard to comprehend. I you know I teach a lot of young players, college players, a lot of really good juniors hit the ball a long way, an awful long way, but even by today's standards. But these numbers and these distances are up to chart. One of the things you do have to keep in mind, however. For example, the eight iron into number two, he hits an eight iron probably about 190. So, because of the clubs all the same length, some of his short iron distances or the short irons is hitting into certain greens, you have to kind of put a little asterisk next to it because of the length of the shaft. They're all, uh, I believe, six iron length clubs. So, that's going to skew the numbers a little bit. But even with that being taken into consideration, it's off the charts. Now, that being said, we also know because we spent a lot of time at Augusta and really studying this tournament because it is your favorite tournament and mine as well. We know that Augusta has a funny way of, of penalizing at times when you get a little bit too greedy um, and holes that seem docile at times can really jump up and bite you. So I haven't conceded the tournament to Bryce at all. He listen, Tony Finau, you know, uh, we, we can go down the list. Even, you know, Justin Thomas. He can go down the list of players that hit the ball an awful long ways today. So although Bryce is sitting in an extraordinary long, and there's a lot of guys that can you know that can really bomb it out there and take advantage of some of these golf balls. Now, also being said, he's playing at a different time of year in very different weather conditions. So we don't know how it's gonna factor in either. We have Augusta traditionally not playing lift clean in place. So we got the golf course really wet right now. And, you know, you get a mud ball or something like that, and, and you can hit one squirrely shot and make a triple in a heartbeat. So, I'm not ready to concede it, although the distances and the get into these grains are absolutely phenomenal.
1: So, I want to react to a couple of things that you just said there, Tom. So, let's let's talk about um, weather. Because as we look at the, uh, the forecast for the next several days, there's 80% chance of rain Wednesday, Thursday. So, you know, soft conditions are going to get softer. They're talking about a.m. Uh, showers on Friday. There's a 60% chance of rain on Saturday, a 40% chance of rain on Sunday. So a lot of rain. So if that were to be the case, and it is sloppy out there. Now, we know the, the air systems, and they can control the greens and all of that. But a a wet golf course, does that bring you know him back, Bryson, does that bring him back to the field a little bit because, you're not going to get the run out that we might normally see. Otherwise, if it were hard and fast, and what does that mean for the rest of the players? Talk about how the wet conditions will affect the golf course.
3: Well, I think in Bryce's case, first of all, Chris, it brings him back a little bit, but he still flies the ball, keeps it on the air longer than anybody. But one of the things that I I I'd probably make reference to is with a mud ball, you know, it becomes a little bit of a game of luck, and some of the skill might be erased. And number two because of the irons being all the same length, we haven't seen Bryson, you know, fight the ball down a little bit when he has to or take something off a shot. He's kind of a full-swing guy. So it could be windy, too, and rainy, and it's going to require some shot-making that that maybe deviates a little bit from all full shots, and the in-between shot might become very important. With his swing speed and making full swings and wet conditions, you know, we we hit one flyer at the wrong time, and again, we make a big number. So there's a lot of factors to take into consideration here. And again, there's a lot of things that can happen on that golf especially in these conditions. So again, I don't think this is a layup. Certainly, his length is a big advantage, no doubt about it. We can't take that away. He's got that tool in his tool chest, but we we can't we we can't sign the seventy-two scorecard and, and hand him the green jacket yet. Not not in not even remotely.
1: So let's go down the path of if he were to go out on Thursday or Friday, whenever the first round gets played, and shoot some ridiculously low score, breaks the course record, goes out and shoots 60-61, something crazy like that. Because Augusta National is a second-shot golf course and the greens are an issue, could you see them making some sort of adjustment, maybe shaving down around the uh, the areas around the the uh, the greens so the collars Become a, a little more penal, the ball rolls off a little bit more. do you see them making a reaction, or do you think? hey, the guy may go out and shoot thirty under if everything were to stay like you know like we're like we're hearing, and um, maybe it's next year that they make that reaction and adjustment
3: well you know we we start we start adjusting to react um very diligently to Tiger doing something similar to this a couple of years ago, obviously way back in his career. Um, and they responded kind of. They called it tiger proofing the golf. Are um, oh, they going to rice and proof the golf course now. Yes, yeah, they could understand something. They're running out of real estate, Chris. They, you know, we, we know they originally purchased some land from Augusta Country Club behind 13. They, they are landlocked. There's almost there's only so much they can do. Under wet conditions, there's much not much they can do because the ball is not going to run out of the fairway if you drive it in play. And you're going to be able to stop the ball on greens that are normally pretty firm and fast. So it's going to play very, you know, differently this year. I would, I think they'd probably pump the brakes a little bit and say, listen, unique conditions, November, wet. Let, let's let's take a step back. And when we get the golf course back to ourselves in April, and we get it back in the condition we wanted in, let's see what happens then before we overreact.
1: Tom, let's talk about how much experience plays into being successful at Augusta national, because it seems like every year, one of the, one of the guys like, like a Freddie couples or a Bernard longer, one of those guys ends up somewhere on the leaderboard. Talk about the ghost of the masters and what it brings out, you know, the best in some of the former champions.
3: Well, I think we saw it last year. In number 12, you know, Tiger kind of was lurking. Francisco made one mistake at the wrong time by taking a little, bit, a little bit too aggressive a line, possibly on number 12. Tiger hits it over there in the left center of the green, makes three, the whole thing flips around, and he wins the Masters. I mean, that's that's the voice of experience speaking right there. I mean, so experience at that golf tournament is a huge factor. So, if you look at guys who have played a number of more tournaments there than Bryson has, and Bryson's played a few tournaments there, so don't get me wrong, but guys with five or six, seven years more experience with Bryson, that, that factors in. I mean, they played more competitive rounds on that golf course. They've seen more variability in the weathering conditions possibly at times. Um, I think it's a factor. I think it's a huge factor. Experience, you know, you can't take experience away from anybody. That's, that, that's, a, that's a huge pull right there.
1: And speaking of that, do you, do you think someone like a Phil Mickelson could be a guy who could challenge this year? Because, look, without the patrons there, the, the way we're oh, yeah. drive, that we're you know semi accustomed to seeing Phil hit, you know there's not going to be any patrons there for the you know to get in the way of the golf ball. it could fly through you know the pine straw and get into some open areas. Do you think that plays into uh the favor of a guy like Phil Mickelson not to have patrons around the fairways you well,
3: know, I think I think that's the same for everybody i I would say yes, based on experience and and listen Phil's a very talented guy, but if you look at the way Phil's played this year, I don't think he's made a cut on the PGA Tour this year. Not not even had a good finish. I don't think he's made a cut. He's won two Champions Tour events on much shorter, easier golf courses. Uh, but I don't think he's trending very well in championship conditions. So I, I don't like Phil's chances this year. But listen, I, with a guy with a short game like Phil's and those hands and that experience, you, you never know. You just never know. So I would, uh, I would never write anybody off with Phil's experience
1: let's talk about some of the european players because with the course conditions with the rainy forecast with the the damp dampness and the overcast and all that sort of stuff could that flip to have some of those european players a guy like Rory McIlroy let's say you know that we've been waiting since 2015 to complete the career grand slam we know he plays well there top 10 finish every year from 2014 to 2018 finished tied 21st last year but could the condition and the weather start to favor some of the European players.
3: I think that's a great point, Chris. I mean, you know, those guys are used to this wet, sloppy stuff, the the cold uh, and the wind and all those factors. That it's not something that they shy away from at all. So I, I that's that's a, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about that. That's why that's why you get paid the big bucks and you're so much smarter than me. <laughs> so I, I, I think you're one up on me right there, right out of the box. But that's a great point. You know, I mean. Uh, Justin Rose, who has not played well recently, but but has you know played well at times at Augusta. Uh, Rory for sure, Rory's trending in the right direction. Um, a, a guy like John Rahm, who you know we, we should definitely, definitely mention John Rahm, who's a very aggressive long player who has, you know played more than his share of golf in Europe. Those I, they have to be factors. I have to you have to dial them in for sure.
1: What about for Tiger, Tom? What are your expectations for Tiger? You know, especially if the tournament becomes a sort of a series of start and stops, you know, or even gets extended into a Monday because of, you know, the, they're trying to get as many holes in as they can. We know this time of year it gets darker earlier, so they're trying to get done, you know, by 5 or 5.30 before it gets too dark to play. But if you mix in the rain and the damp conditions and we're going out and we're playing a few holes, then we got to stop. And then we're playing a few more holes and we got to stop. How much is that going to impact Tiger's ability to defend?
3: Well, you know, just I I I've I've been bitten so many times counting Tiger out publicly, either either in a written column or or on your show or on my own show or in the Naples News. So I always I always take a step back before I I write Tiger off. But certainly, you know, we know that he's not performed well in cold, damp conditions. You look at his tea time on Thursday, I think it's seven forty five over number ten, you know, hits it down there up for number ten, doesn't get down the hill very far, is at that downhill line with a three or four in his hands, and it's it's you know, it's forty five degrees and damp. So that's you know, that's tough on his physical right now and his physical condition. I think this is a very, very unique situation for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, but especially it's a tough situation for Tiger. Just the time of year and the weather and certainly the temperature.
1: Tom, just a couple more before I let you go. So that sort of begs now the question, who are the guys that you expect to see at the top of the leaderboard come to back nine on whether it's Sunday, if we get to a normal Sunday finish, or if it leaks into Monday, going into the back nine on the final round, who do you expect to be battling it out?
3: Well, you know, the, the, the voice, the one name that I'm not hearing enough of, and I've listened to a lot of radio on the way down tonight to Key West, and maybe we had a five-hour drive, so I was listening to a lot of different people. Um, nobody's talking enough, I think, about Patrick Cantlin. Just one two weeks ago at Sherwood, he's he's, had, he's played well at Augusta before. He's in great form. Um, this, this kid is overdue to win a major. He's super talented. So that's one person certainly.
1: let you go without getting a playing lesson from you. We've talked an awful lot about, you know, windy, windy, rainy, overcast, damp conditions. If we are about to go out and play and, you know, our golf course has had a lot of rain over the last few days and it's kind of sloppy out there. What are some things we need to be able to do so we're not chunking it down the fairway?
3: Well, Chris, you know, I grew up on the east end of Long Island as a kid and in the fall and in the spring, you know, on the East End of Long Island in New York, we all familiar with Shinnecock Hills in the East End. It really blows out there. We get some really nasty weather off the ocean. So I grew up in those conditions, and, and, and I, I've i always considered myself a pretty good mutter. Um, but one of the things that, you know, and I mean no tour fighter will miss this one, but the amateur misses all the time, is being prepared as far as things you have in your golf bag. I mean, a good rain suit, an umbrella, a rain glove, um maybe some talcum maybe some powder to dry your hands off. you, you got to keep yourself warm, um, you know, maybe, maybe dressing in layers, uh, aside from just hitting golf shots. But then the next thing you've got to do is you got to control the flight of the golf ball. So making less than a full swing, choking down on the club a little bit, playing the ball a little bit more back in the stands, hitting some three-quarter, to three-quarter shots, maybe taking one more club because of the heavy air are all factors and things you got to think about. I hit very, very few full shots. Uh, on approach shots in these conditions, very few. Uh, I'm always trying to control the golf ball, and you got to be aware, you got to be really beware of that flyer. You know, you got to look at those conditions very carefully and evaluate very, very carefully when you step up and hit a golf shot. So managing yourself, not only in terms of your preparation what's in your golf bag, but the type of shots you're going to play, uh, you, you've got to be, you got you to have your golf IQ turned way up.
1: Tom, you've got a great show of your own on Thursday nights on Instagram Live. Folks, it's 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Be sure to tune in because Tom is great and so are his guests. TP, remind our listeners about your show and who you've got coming up.
3: I've got, uh, I've got what I consider one of the great club sitters on the planet coming up this Thursday, a guy named Woody Lasher from New York, who has his, his hand right on the pulse of golf equipment. He's going to share some things about what's new and coming out and what he what he does to pick golf clubs properly and what amateurs should do to have the right equipment in their bag. Uh, I just got a commitment uh, from February from Rocco Media. I'm waiting for a couple of real interviews, but I'm totally this is the end of February, Chris. It's been a lot of fun. You've been on twice. You've been wonderful. We want to have you back again. Um, it's been really successful, and I've really enjoyed doing it.
1: Tom, remind our listeners as well how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's uh, on your website or over social media.
3: Thanks, Chris. It's Uh two Facebook pages, Twitter, LinkedIn, obviously Instagram, uh, and then, of course, my, like I said, my website is Uh so I appreciate that, that shout-out and that plug, Chris. But my favorite place is uh, every other Tuesday with you right here on Next on the T, nobody, nobody on the planet does a better job on their golf show than Chris Mestero. Nobody.
1: I appreciate you, GP. Love you, my friend. Be safe. Take uh, safe travels down there to uh, uh, to Key West and then returning home. I look forward to catching up with you for our final episode in a couple of weeks. We'll end the season uh, with you and me. So looking forward to that. Stay safe.
3: Chris, I, I, you're the best. I love you. Great show tonight. Mr.
2: Wright, you tell I son hi.
1: I will absolutely do so. Take care, my friend. Stay safe down there. We'll catch up That's soon. How- Bye See you, TP. That's a great Tom Patry. TomPatry.com is his website, P A T R I, and at Tom Patry on uh, Instagram and on Twitter as well. Folks, uh, you know, TP is very humble, but I'm telling you, his Instagram live show, 8 o'clock Thursday night, absolutely spectacular. A heck of a host, and his guest list is unbelievable. Uh, I've learned a lot by just watching Tom and then how to host the show, uh, and then uh, certainly from his guests as well. So, Uh, If you're not tuning in Thursday nights at 8 o'clock on Instagram Live, you're missing something special. So looking forward to uh, closing out the show a couple of weeks with TP and then uh, staying up to date uh, with his great show as well. All right, before I get to my next guest, John Patrick, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. At Ben Hogan Golf, they manufacture some of the finest golf equipment in the world in their small factory in Fort Worth, Texas. That's because they build each club by hand using the same process Mr. Hogan created when he started his company 65 years ago. They call it micromanufacturing. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com to learn more about their tour quality products and factory direct prices. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus four technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show was sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to
0: you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
1: All right, now back with me is the host of the Augusta Golf Show, John Patrick. You can check out John's show at AugustaGolfShow.com. He's been covering the Masters for about 35 years. I would venture to say that no one knows the tournament, the course, and its impact on golf history better than John does. I was fortunate to get to spend some time with him earlier this year, and I'm very excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming back on the show.
0: Thanks for having me back. Chris, how are you? I'm fantastic, John. How's Masters Week treating you? Uh, Different. It's um, weird. Having it at this time of the year, I, I didn't think it would feel as weird as it does. Um, I thought, you know, I, I thought April was, was odd, and I thought, well, it'll be fine when we get to Master Week. But it's just, yeah, And now here's the odd thing. You know, I'm sitting out on my porch tonight talking to you, and it feels like an April evening. We've got a shower. It's a little breezy. We're in the maybe 60s, low 70s. Uh, It feels like April and it's kind of going to feel like April, you know, for the rest of the week, a little wet, but, but warmer than than all of the pundits had said. I, I said for for a long time that uh, November is my favorite month to play in this town. It's just spectacular. And, and, and everybody was like, Oh, what's it going to be like in the fifties, sixties, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be in the seventies. And, and it it might be darn near 80, but unfortunately, it's it's also going to be wet the next few days.
1: And, and John, speaking of the town, I, I'm I'm sort of curious what what's the vibe around town. I I, I got to imagine to Augustans, it's got to feel like the Super Bowl's in your town and nobody came.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no vibe. I, I drove I drove past the national yesterday afternoon. I in in, in being there about two ish, and there's nobody. I mean like driving down Washington road on November 10th of, of any year. It's uh, you know, every, we know it's here. It's, it's a really strange situation. Guys are playing their practice rounds. Nobody's there to watch them. And, you know, we're kind of immune Chris to, to uh, having folks in town, you know, of some note playing the national, but, uh, but we don't know it. We hear it afterwards. We hear that, you know, so-and-so was in town or this, world leader came into play or this member of royalty or this member of Hollywood royalty was in last week. But we know, you know, everybody knows they're on the golf course playing their practice rounds. Just nobody gets to go out there and see them. They've, uh, there are no ropes. Uh, They've painted, they've kind of painted the ground green where the ropes would be. You, uh, for those, for those lucky to be there, you you have access to certain things you don't normally have access to. You get kind of closer than you would normally get. Uh, but but we all know it's, you know, we hope, our fingers are crossed, it's a, it's a one-off situation. I got my doubts about that, but we hope it's a one-off
1: situation. So what's the economic impact? I got to believe it's huge, you know, for the town, but right? I mean, it was bad in April. Now you, you come to November and you get to have the tournament. But the economic impact of not having – you know, everybody there. I mean, yeah, I'm used to, you know, being there and you can't get off, you know, at the exit of Washington road, there's a sea of people everywhere, you know, restaurants are jammed. That's all got to be, you know, huge for the, for the folks in the town, the, the loss of the revenue.
0: Well, that, and that was April, you know, we, we, we absorbed the loss in April. Once we got to May and before they announced that the tournament would happen, Everybody knew that if there would be a tournament, there probably wouldn't be patrons. Oh, let me let me do that a different way. Once the tournament was announced and they had not announced no that there wouldn't be patrons, you had a feeling there wouldn't be patrons. And the tour comes back without crowd. Jay had a feeling there wouldn't be a crowd. So so the economic impact was absorbed in May. This is this is nothing. I mean, we 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 absorbed it in May, uh, April. We were never going to have it at at this time of the year so it's it's incredibly normal in town this week. Uh, there are about four thousand people on the ground, but that's everybody that's infrastructure, that's you know staff that's that's everybody they need to put on a bare bones tournament still requires four thousand people but but it, it there's no impact whatsoever in town and and as I said. Back then, still somewhat applies now. Yes, it feels different and odd and strange, but we have larger issues than 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 nobody being at the Masters. So you're kind of still consumed with, can you go into the restaurant? and eat what about the mask? What? So there are you know we got bigger issues than that. So it's it's hard to explain, Chris. It, it, you know unless you're here 52 weeks out of the year, it's it's a regular week. It's it's just a November week
1: in Augusta. John, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the tournament itself, starting with the great news that we heard this week about Lee Elder joining Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player for the ceremonial tee shot next April. But I think that's a great statement by Augusta National at a time when we need an institution like that to help us unite and come come together. I think that was a, a huge thing that Augusta National did, inviting Lee Elder to be a part of it.
0: Well, you know, for as long as I've been here, Chris, I've been a show for the place. Uh they're a great neighbor. They're a great community neighbor and they showed it again on Monday. There are people that, you know, naysayers in this town that they're they're elitist and they, you know, they they should have a higher tax higher tax base and 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 people that just don't like everything they stand for, but you got to look at what they've been able to do. Not only through having a golf tournament, and to your point, the economic impact—the 100 million dollar a year economic impact—but especially over the last 10 years, they've been this kind of neighbor, this kind of neighbor. They give, uh, they give millions to a community fund here in town that allocates the money out. They, they, all of their employees are given a siphon to give to the, you know, nonprofit of their choice. And then they do things like this. That's a, you know, that's a golf scholarship for a historically black university in town, men's program. And they'll fund, they'll create the women's program and then give a scholarship there. That, you know, we talked on, on the morning show Monday as, as we knew that Chairman Ridley was going to have an announcement. And we speculated what the announcement might be. And you just can't. You just can't. That that never, the, the, the Lee Elder rumors had been bubbling that maybe that would be something they ought to do, you know, have Lee on the first tee. It would be a a wonderful gesture. But the scholarship and the creation of the women's program, you just can't even predict what they're going to do. They just constantly amaze and surprise this community, let alone the golf community, let alone, you know, uh, golf around the world. They just constantly amaze and surprise community. And, that's the public stuff. They're 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 pretty active behind the scenes in some things that have to get done here, and you never really you know it's never really said that it's them, but you know it's them because they're the only organization that could surreptitiously you know give half a million or a million dollars to some sort of need here in town.
1: So to that point, John, talk about how the Augusta National Club has grown the game, and we we've seen the women's amateur event there. Now we see a lot of the things to your point that they are doing behind the scenes. We talk, we don't, don't talk enough about what they've done for the game internationally. Talk about the impact that they've had on the game as a whole.
0: You know, what, what has amazed me about that is how subtly they've gone about it. How not necessarily quietly, but they haven't gone about it with an awful lot of flash. They, you know, creating the Asian Pacific amateur, creating the Latin America amateur, obviously, you know, creating drive chip and putt. It, 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 here's here's growing the amateur game around the world. And I don't think they're done with that, Chris. I, I think there'll be at some point, some other section of the world that will get their, get their amateur golf tournament, uh, what they've, and then obviously what they've done in the women's game, but it is, but it's always done respectful of the game and respectful of the governing body of the game a lot of talk a lot of people on on talk shows talk about you know will augusta national be that spot that rolls back the golf ball will there be an augusta national golf ball there will never be an augusta national golf ball because they realize their position in the game they are an important aspect of the game they do like the fact that when you talk about the governing bodies, you say the USGA, you say the R&A, and you bring up, you know, Augusta National, and, and 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 they like that, but they're very respectful of the fact that they are not a governing body. Uh, they're respectful of the governing body, but they do like having this seat at the table. And I think that was that was one of Billy Payne's goals uh, during during his uh, term as chairman to, to put the Augusta National in a spot. Uh, where they could be impactful on the game, around the world. And, and and I've said this before. I mean, that that's Billy's legacy. You know, he, he didn't really touch the golf course. He, he made the accoutrement around the golf course much better. But the Latin American amateur, it's the Asia-Pacific amateur. You know, I, I, I would ask him all the time, and he would graciously kind of shrug his shoulders, how happy, how happy would he have been to see Hideki Matsuyama win the Masters because Hideki Matsuyama won the first two Asia Pacific Amateurs, how happy would he have been to have seen that happen, especially under his tenure. And he graciously, you know, any winner is great, but I think deep down inside, he would have really, really enjoyed seeing that. Um, it's, 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 it's the fact that they do it in my mind so quietly and so subtly that makes it so impactful.
1: John, switching gears a little bit, I think we're all used to thinking that the Augusta National Club can do just about anything you know, in the world. They, they can make anything happen. I think some of us are expecting to see them uh, having made azaleas bloom in November. But seeing the pictures and that sort of thing, that might be just a little bit outside of their realm of possibility. Talk about what the golf course is going to look like and how different it's going to look from what we're used to seeing in April.
0: Well, I can tell you they can do a lot, but they can't do everything, although although they like the fact that people think they can do everything. They can't, and they don't want to. Golf course is beautiful this time of the year. I've had the opportunity times in November, and now I'm beginning to hear what, what I thought when I saw it. The left side of 11 is spectacular with the hardwood. It's just beautiful, and, and now I'm you know, you're beginning to see some photographs pop up with, with the left side of 11. It, um, it's going to play differently. It you know, the rye is fresh. The rye is new. It's going to have a bit of a Bermuda base, which it doesn't have uh, in, in April. And, and, and it's, you, you're going to get some squirrely lies a little bit, uh, different lies. You're going to have to play some shots differently, but um, you know, the, the rain isn't helpful. The rain is not helpful. The schedule, the, the forecast is, is not helpful. We're, we're looking at about a half an inch to an inch tomorrow at and maybe some of that on Thursday, so it's already wet. It's already wet. It's already long. You have to have it that way for the rye. I, I frankly, Chris, as you and I are talking here on Wednesday, in, I, on, on Tuesday night, I I don't see them finishing Sunday.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, John. So, to your point, when I look at the at the forecast, right? We rain tomorrow, rain Thursday, maybe some showers Friday morning. Sixty percent chance of rain on Saturday, forty percent on Sunday, and obviously uh, having to change, you know, the way that they they start guys out because it gets darker earlier and that sort of thing. What yeah. are your expectations? Do you think we're we're going to get uh, some starts starts and stops, and then we leak into Monday, or could we even leak further into yeah. Tuesday?
0: No, I don't think we leak into Tuesday, but they have no wiggle room. You know, they have very little wiggle room. Uh, a Thursday to me is the is the day. If 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 they can't get a lot of Thursday done, then then we're looking at Monday. Um, I I I would expect I would expect you know kind of finishing the second round on Saturday morning, and and then trying to get as much of Saturday. And you know they we've got this we've got this self-imposed deadline on Sunday at like 2.33 two, two, two o'clock. Well that 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 doesn't have to happen. You know they do have a couple of extra hours. They can go to five five thirty. Uh, that, that's just a that's just a acquiescing to envy to cbs and their and their football so they they don't have to stop at that time they're going to need all of the daylight they have in these four days and and as i said thursday to me whether here in town the, the forecast has gotten just a tad better for the weekend but but they're going to need all of Thursday and all of Friday. And I just don't think they're going to get a lot of Thursday.
1: So, John, without patrons on the course, and uh, so folks won't be lining the fairways, they're not going to be framing the greens. What impact does the lack of patrons on the golf course itself have on the players?
0: Well, you know, Rory has talked about that. He, 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 he doesn't know if, you know, he needs that energy. He likes that energy. He wants that energy. We've seen in the 10 or 11 weeks that the tour has been back. When, when, when grandstands aren't there, uh, balls go in places they've never gone before. We may get some of that because of, because of no grandstands. I, I, I think they're pretty well used to playing without fans. Uh, I think some guys are just having a harder time revving themselves up. Uh, but, uh, you know, somebody was saying yesterday. They, I think it was Xander, saying, you know, he feels sorry for the guys who are playing their first Masters this year. They don't get that full experience. Uh, I, I, I just think the no fan thing has it w- doesn't bother the players as much as we like to, as we like to focus
1: on it. So let's flip that a little bit without the fans, right? So we're not going to hear the roars on the back nine no. when someone makes an eagle or a birdie. We may hear it in our houses, right, we, that we may personally hear some things, you know, as we all root, but the players aren't going to hear it, right? So they're not going to know when, you know, a guy a few holes back, Eagles 13 or 15 coming in. Does that open the door for some guys? Because the pressure will also not be there hearing that something has happened behind you. It might. It might.
0: But the, 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 but the scoreboards that are always up will be up. They will be functional. They'll, everybody will know where they stand. Like they always know where they stand and, and you're right. We won't have, you know, but that's a guessing game. That's, Oh, that sounds like tiger made Eagle on, you know, 15. Oh, that's, you know, somebody birdieing 14. Yeah. But, but I still think because of the conditions, because of the weather, uh, you know, I kind of hate to say this. I I think we'll be relegated to the big boys. I think we'll be relegated to, to the guys who are, you know, hitting it a long way. They all hit it a long way. But, uh, you know, we've heard uh, there's been some you know, what Bryson's been doing this week. Um, I, I think that's where we're going to be in this. I Of all of the majors, of all of the golf tournaments, this may be the one that you just can't get away from the guys who hit it so far.
1: And to your point, I was talking to Tom Patrick in the, in the last segment about some of the things that we are hearing about Bryson DeChambeau and, and his potential to you know overpower the golf course. I, I saw that he had played a round, a practice round with Sandy Lyle, and Lyle saying that Bryson didn't hit anything greater than a seven iron, anything longer than a seven iron, into any of the holes, including the par fives, and flew the green with a three wood on on number three. Do you think that that's a is that a risk if he were to go out there and shoot some silly score, like break the course record on a Thursday? Is there a reaction? That the course can have, the superintendent can have, maybe shaving down some of the collars or something along those lines to make it a little bit harder. I'm sure they don't want to no. see a Dustin Johnson-like score at the at the Northern Trust where DJ shot 30 under.
0: No, I I I think I think they and and, and, and the governing bodies look at Bryson as as an uh, 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 an anomaly. I think, you know, this is a guy that went out, bulked himself up, focused on and concentrating on this sort of thing. And he's he's doing some just incredible things with that. But he's one guy. There's always been one guy. There was Jack. There was John Daly. There was Tiger. There's always been one guy. I still think the governing bodies are more concerned about the fact that someone the size of Rory McIlroy hits it almost just as far. Someone the size of Matthew Wolfe at times drives it past him. I think that concerns them more than that outlier gone out there to accomplish that singular mission of doing that. Uh, I think that's one guy. It's it, it's when the whole game is doing that sort of thing that it catches somebody's attention. I don't think the club, I don't think the club will react. Somebody doing that. Uh, it's been interesting that there's been very little reaction like that in the last 10, 12 years. Obviously, we're all sitting back at some point, waiting for Chairman Ridley to move the tee on 13 back. But, right. but, but there hadn't been much of that at all. The, the, Chairman Payne didn't touch the golf course, and and so far Chairman Ridley, you know, hasn't done much of that yet. So, I I I think they're they're cautiously looking at things. But I don't think Bryson in and of himself will 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 cause them to react. Now, you know, one of the things Sandy didn't say, uh, maybe he didn't do this when he was playing with Sandy, but Bryson also, playing with Sandy, Bryson hit three wood off 13. Uh, Bryson on another round hit driver off 13 with the goal of getting it into 14 fairway and cutting the angle. And he can do that because there are no Patriots. He can roll that ball into 14 fairway and cut the angle, yeah, some of—I mean—some of that stuff's going to really be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, and that's where I, I was uh, asking TP this as well. I mean, when you think about a guy like Phil Mickelson, you know, we all hear—you know—Phil likes to, you know, bomb it off the tee, hit bomb, right? Well, about Patrons, I mean, he can kind of put that ball just about anywhere, and then still yeah. have the opportunity with his short game and, and his creativity to to come out of that. So. Does that favor someone like a Phil now, not to have the patrons there and be able to hit the ball just about wherever he wants to?
0: Maybe I just, you know, I think we're. It's so easy for us to forget uh, with Phil. Phil's 50 years old. Not a whole lot of major champions at 50 years old. I think we 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 got to remember that about Tiger too. Uh, Tiger's 44 years old. It, 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 the game catches up with you just for that reason alone, despite all that Phil's gone through, and all that Tiger has gone through. But I will say this about Phil, and I used to always say this about Phil. uh, Count on him, and he always lets you down. Don't count on him, and he always surprises you.
1: John, just a couple more before I let you go. And you've been covering the event since the, the late 80s. I have to imagine over the course of all of those years, you've put together a couple of special pieces of memorabilia from the masters that you've had an opportunity to cover talk about some of the things that uh, that you've gotten from the tournament or as a, as a result of the tournament that you really treasure
0: you know uh, a couple of, i'm not a big autograph collector i've got um maybe four uh i i i've, I've got arnold's autograph i've got hogan's autograph i i've i've got jack's autograph but but the thing that I really kind of wanted was every year Augusta National puts out what they call the annual it's a leather bound green book that synopsizes the tournament and 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 for the two thousand five tournament uh, I made it a point to uh it was jack's last tournament, and until last year it was the last tournament tiger had won, so I made it a point to to have jack. Signed the page, you know the the photo that in the annual. Where it's his last tournament, and then the the photo they had of Tiger chipping in on 16. Tiger signed that for me. I kind of like that. I'm I again. I'm not a I'm not a big memorabilia guy, but I think I've said this. I may have told you this story when I was on the show before. But my 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 most treasured piece is uh, I've got one of the golf balls uh, from 1986 that uh, Jackie gave me that night and i've and I've framed it with a photograph of Jack and a scorecard and and um and so what, four years ago on the thirtieth anniversary i um saw I' got the chance to talk to jackie and and i and I came up to him and I said, uh, "You know I don't know that I would do this today, and I don't know that you would do this today, but back in 1986, I came up to you the evening of that final round and said, "Can I have a ball from the back and Jackie said to me then." Please tell me I gave it to you. And I, You did, and 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 he said, God, I thought it was going to be one of those stories where I didn't let you have a golf ball. But, but he I said, you know, I've just always wondered. It's not that important to me, Jackie. I just I like having it. But you know, I I've kind of wondered if your dad played with that ball during the round. He said, Oh, I can I can tell you that he probably did. He said, does it have a couple of pencil marks next to the number. And I said, it does. He said, then he used it. Um, because dad had six golf balls in the bag, changed it every three holes. He said, I'll tell you, John, if he bogeyed 12 with it or eagled 15, but he did play with it. I said, that's all I need to know. You know, that's all I need to know. So that's, you know, of, of the and I don't have much stuff, honestly, but that one, I, I grew up idolizing Jack. And I never thought, I never thought I would be on the grounds in 86 when that happened. But, um. Hey, that that one that one that one's kind of special.
1: He played with six golf balls in the bag. Isn't that something? Yeah. I mean that just yeah. that part of the story blows my mind just in in and of itself. half dozen golf balls, we'll just put those in the bag.
0: David Graham told me once, You know they all kind of did that, and they all changed golf balls every three holes back in those days with the you know the a lot of golf balls and the and the persimmon woods. And David said to me, except John. For twelve. We would change a golf ball on 10 T, play number 10 and 11 with it, but we'd always put a fresh ball on the T on twelve because we didn't want to hit an older golf ball on that T shot. Ah, but
1: they didn't. <laughs> John, before I let you go, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, listen to your show, and then follow you on social media as well.
0: Uh, the Twitter account is at Augusta Golf Show uh the show is available on your on your home speaker um any of your connected devices if you have a home speaker you just you ask it to enable Spreaker. i don't understand how all of this works but you ask it to enable Spreaker, and once you do that ask for the Augusta golf show and boom it pops up um on the website it's just the interviews it's uh, it's the show does not exist on the website just the the conversations that i have but the show also exists in its entirety on the iHeartRadio Radio app, it runs the stations in the southeast, but digitally, that that's how people can hear it all around the all around the world.
1: Well, John, it's always a thrill to have you as part of the show. You're you're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time on uh, Masters Week and coming back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again soon.
0: Anytime you need to do that, Chris, I I am here for you. Um, I thank you. Thank you for asking. And, you know, people say this to me, and I and I want to say this to you. Thank you for what you do for the game of golf.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate you very much, my friend. The same back to you. Wouldn't be the same. Masters, The Masters would not be the same without the voice of John Patrick. Not only the voice, but the knowledge that comes along with it. So thank you so much for being a part of the. what's my favorite golf tournament. Thank you, Chris. See you, John. That's a great John Patrick. uh, Augustagolfshow.com is is the site, and uh, I I mean it sincerely, folks. Um, There's probably not a better golf show and a better talent leading that show than John Patrick. Uh, He is knowledgeable. He is fun. He is informative, and uh, he's a a pleasure to listen to. Uh, You wrap all of that together, and you come out with a guy like John Patrick. uh, He's just simply the best. And i uh, very honored that uh, I've got to have him on the show twice. And uh, I look forward to uh, the opportunity to have him back on again, I hope, sometime soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Mr. Ben Wright, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the Macklemore. The Macklemore mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic Macklemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes, that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Cairn provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themacclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T, and I'm I'm both honored and amazed to say this, but making his 17th appearance with me is one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's Mr. Ben Wright. It's always an honor for me to have Mr. Wright as part of the show. In my mind, he's the best broadcaster that uh, golf has ever had. Uh, no one before since has painted the, the pictures the way that he did and helped us uh, witness and appreciate the game of golf the way he did. I mean, you, you go back and you you listen to his calls, right? You go back to 75, that'll be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ear was his call when Tom Weisskopf birdied to take the lead on the 15th hole in the 75 Masters. Legendary. And I always like to make sure everyone remembers this, particularly this week, that it was Ben Wright who used the phrase, yes, sir, to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicklaus's ego putt on the 15th hole during the final round of the 86 Masters. And that came 20 minutes before Vern Lundqvist used that phrase again when uh, Mr. Nicholas made the birdie putt on 17. Uh, Mr. Wright has left his legacy all over the history of the Masters tournament and golf history for the. Nearly three decades that he broadcasted the game, and I am so honored that I get to say he is back with me here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Red. How are you?
2: My word, fold over again, Chris. You just, you just give me this, such a fulsome introduction. I almost feel I've done it for the night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fantastically well. Thank you. Uh, for my age, you know. But um, I'm really working out very hard and uh, keeping myself in remarkable shape. Uh, Actually, probably better than I have been uh, for a couple of decades, maybe. But anyhow, I'm looking forward to enormously to this master's because, uh, obviously, there's a huge amount of fuss about the DeChambeau, and rightly so. I mean, the man is, uh, he they may call him the mad scientist, but there's method in his madness. And um, I've got to applaud him for what he's trying to do. But I think a lot of people have forgotten that I i think he missed 26 fairways. A week for in that uh, phenomenal open victory, but you know, you can't jounce it out of the tree like you can out of a wing foot rock. So if he goes astray, then um, we may have a, a bunch of Deschambo playing outside. Um, but uh, you know, give him his due. He's trying to take it by the scruff of the neck and and destroy Augusta National. And, you know, he's every right to. I just wish he would play a bit more quickly. But of course if you're a mad scientist, you're gonna you're gonna take your time, I suppose. Um I I really look beyond him for the winner um this week. And I think we might get a surprise packet. And, uh, you know, I have a a sort of sneaking feeling from a gentleman from England who I've never met because he's so darn young. And that is Cyril Hatton. Really? uh, Yes, yes, yes. I've had a little wager on him in a very accommodating price. Um it's it's an easy way back. And um, you know, I think uh he has a serious shot as he's been he playing absolutely magnificently for quite a while now. Um but you know we, we the Euros are not winning like they used to for a while and uh, it'll be a surprise, but. Obviously, to most
1: people,
2: but I'm prepared for.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about that because that's one of the things I was talking uh, to Tom Patrick earlier in the show about. Because as as we look at the forecast, and right, we've been talking about that a lot tonight on the show, and it it looks like it's going to be cloudy and rainy, uh, particularly the next couple of days. Obviously, tomorrow just being a practice round, but Thursday looks like rain. Friday they're talking about rain in the morning but it's going to be overcast and then Saturday Sunday also a chance of rain. I got to imagine that in those kinds of conditions that might give a little bit of a uh, a step up for some of the European players being used to playing in the damp conditions that maybe our players aren't uh, quite as adept at.
2: Yes, yes, I think uh, I was taking that into account but you know I know the forecast because we get um, where I am in Flat Rock, North Carolina. We get Atlanta's weather, but, I mean, we've, we've got a bad forecast uh, until Monday, really. Um, and uh, I I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a mother, uh, M-U-D-D-E-R, from Europe uh, pull this one
1: off. To that end, I think... I- you know, you're surprised with the Terrell Hatton, though he, he won not all that long ago. Uh, back in October, he won over on the European Tour by four strokes, by the way. Uh, so certainly his game looks like it's rounding into form for sure. But I think we've all been sort of waiting for Rory McIlroy to take this tournament, you know, by the horns and, and get the uh, career grand slam. What's your expectations from Rory? You know something,
2: Chris? I don't have any. Anymore because he disappoints me on a perennial basis. Uh, You know, and you know, he talks a good game, but um, he's not backing it up of late. And uh, I don't know what's the matter with him. I, I, you know, um, he doesn't pass well enough for me, and uh, they're going to have the green pretty. State because of their ability to dry them out and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I don't have any expectations of Rory, much as I love him. But, of course, when you don't have any expectations expectations of him, he's more likely to win, really, I think. You know, if he, if he could only get under the radar... That is so unlikely that uh, you know, I am prepared for him to disappoint me again. But I'm hoping for the best, obviously, because I'd love to see the exclusive uh, team in the exclusive club of uh well five at the moment. One or four majors. I love I love that to happen because he's a Tremendous kid, and I've, I've known him since he was a boy, and I really, i love to see him do it, but I I don't expect, Chris, don't expect. You know, there, there, I think there's a great thing about Augusta National. It can make you, but it can destroy you. And I I only got to think about Jordan speech and uh, Franco Molinari. You know, they they have absolutely gone into the tank since they blew the master. you know, uh with uh Keith putting two in the water at twelve and Molinari putting it in the water at twelve and fifty. And uh you know, I think that might be something that McElroy may never uh join that exclusive club uh, but i you know it it's it a cruel place i mean it can be it can be a wonderful place, but it can be brutally cruel and I go back a long time to Red who came by my tower when he had a 3 stroke lead. Uh, going out of 15, which was my place, and bogeyed the last three holes when I was driving up to the uh, compound to watch him bogey 18 as he had bogey 16 and 17. Now, with respect to Edgar, as I used to call him, um, he hasn't been heard of since. And um, you know, Augusta National, it raises your hope to such a degree and then dashes them. And uh, I think, you know, Bobby Jones used to say that what championships are lost and won. And I thought those were very uh, keen words. I, I I very much appreciate what that, that, that sentiment is. Uh, I, I, but there, you know, I'm I'm a sentimental old devil, and I would love to see Speak uh, and Molinari come good again. Uh, if it, even if it is this year, in the future, I Speak I, I, is too darn good a player to be languishing, or you know, 181st or wherever he is. In uh, in the world order now, just too good a plan. But I believe you know there is uh, paralysis by analysis, and uh, I think probably Pete is a victim of that syndrome,
1: Mr. Wright. I want to kind of continue to pick your brain about memories, and and you you mentioned uh, how how cruel Augusta National can be, and we've talked in the past about. You know Tom Weisskopf and what happened in '75 and losing to Nicholas like that and really crushing him. Um, but I also want to talk about '78 because I was kind of going back and, and reviewing some of the Masters from the from the '70s and '78s when uh, Gary Player, one of your good friends, uh, you know, got his third Masters jacket that year. Um, but I you also got to remember that Hubert Green had what a three footer on 18. To tie him and yes. go into a playoff and and uh yes. back you know, I as I'm watching the, the the broadcast, I mean he gets over that putt and seems to sit there for a while and then someone makes a noise and he backs off and goes back in there and then and then misses that putt. Um yes. gotta be pretty cruel yeah, to be you know, Hubert Green there.
2: Yes, it was cruel to Hubert Green. It was a hell of a player. And um, uh,
1: you, you will relent
2: of it won the uh, Open at Southern Hills Tarsom when he'd been told he might be shot at. <laughs> you know, um, and he elected to play. Um, it, it is a very cruel event. And, I mean, we've only just talked about uh, a few of those. I mean, Weisskopf, you know, he was too good a player to be second all times, but of course Tom was his own worst enemy he was in his day uh, a true crazy and and uh, you know, I loved the man dearly because we were great friends and I had the highest admiration of his ability but he was his own worst enemy he really didn't give it his full attention. And uh, there we are, you know. He only won one major, and he should have won at least half a dozen, in my opinion.
1: Mr. Ed, I want to get your memories of that 75 Masters, because as I was listening to the broadcast, Vince Gully was broadcasting the Masters you know, with you that year, Pat Summerall, Ken Venture, yourself. Uh, in '75, and and um, I I wanted to kind of get your memories of what it was like being a part of the team along with a guy like Mr. Scully.
2: Oh, you know that that '75 is probably um, overlooked. It was just as great as 1986, really, in my opinion. Except there was a downbeat. Finney in that Nicholas was in and Weisscroft and Johnny Miller had a chance to tie him and they failed to do so so it didn't have the uh, incredible impact of Nicholas's incredible of thirty including a bogey in 1986 but to me 1975 had All the ingredients of one of the great events of my life, quite frankly. And uh, I never will forget my exchange with Henry Longhurst on 16 and me on 15 with Weisskopf and Nicholas. That was magical and a magical experience for me. in that kind of a situation, uh, you know, I only dreamed of that. And uh, to be in that situation was truly something that I'll never forget until I die.
1: One of the other things about that 75 event, and, and we learned this week that Lee Elder is going to join Jack Nicholas and Gary Player as a, an honorary tee, uh, for that honorary tee shot. Uh, in April. So when we when convene again, he will be there on that ceremonial tee. But that was his first Masters. That was breaking the color barrier, if you will, uh, in in Masters history. What do you remember about that piece of that tournament?
2: Well, you know, uh, I called Lee Elder the leading black golfer during that 1975 tournament. And I was all over cold by the gentleman in Rico, uh, who said that they would rather be saying that he was the leading golfer of his race which I thought was very strange but I think the fact that Fred Ridley has invited him to be the honorary starter along with Nicholas and Blair in April is a phenomenal move in the correct direction and uh, I applaud Mr. Ridley un- un- unashamedly with from the bottom of my heart because I think you know uh, and I'm hoping uh, I've got to say this Chris I'm hoping that Harold the Third will win a tournament very soon because here is a guy who Really putting in his time. And uh, we need, we need more black golfers or the best golfers of their race. Um, we need it. I mean, there's no question about it. I thought Tiger Woods would open the floodgate, but that he has not done so at all. And uh, the game is all the poorer for it.
1: I think. Come here, Mr. Right. I want to talk about um, your relationship with with Seve Ballesteros, and you got to see him at his highs, and you got to see him at his lows. I mean, winning the Masters in '80 80 and '83, on top of you know his Open Championships, amazing. Um, you also, and you've talked about this on the show in the past, had some struggles with him over you know his collapse on the back nine in '86. Talk about. You know, being a witness to a friend of yours with Mr. Ballesteros and a friend of yours and Gary Flair, seeing them at their peak and then seeing them also uh, during their struggle.
2: Yes. um, They, you know, they're very difficult, very different people. Um, Chevy was extremely volatile and not always friendly, but. I loved him for the, the sheer beauty of what he could accomplish when he was at his best and Gary Cla i just I admire him to the end of time because he just wouldn't take no for and when I first met him, he had no bloody idea how to play the game I mean like. Mr. Hogan before him he had a series of duck hooks until he finally sorted himself out as did Mr. Hogan and uh, you know for sheer determination and possibly not even um, as great a talent as some of his rivals but Gary did it through sheer Termination, and uh, I love the fact, you know, you talk about him having bleeding hands from practicing, well, he made himself, Chevy was nasty but Gary was a made player, and he did it, by the sheer force of his will and courage.
1: And- when he won his third Masters in 78, he did it by shooting a, a then-course record 64 in the final round, becoming the oldest champion at that time. He was 43. And, oh, by the way, yeah. a 21-year-old Sevi Ballesteros was his playing partner that day, and I believe Mr. Player was his idol, and he got to witness that sort of thing. Talk about you know getting to see Mr. Player at 43 years old shoot a 64, and come through and win a third master.
2: Well, you know, Chris, I would say that um, outside America, Gary uh, has been uh, the only person who really espoused athleticism and becoming a true actor. I mean, in my early days, there were a lot of beer bellies out there and guys who would drink away the night and uh, chase wenches through the night as well. But Gary Gary uh, personifies a man who was determined to be the fittest man out there and was for decades. And uh, I think, you know, he set a fact for the young men of today who are real athletes. And uh, I think, it, you know, Gary, he's really one of the old time greats. I don't have any doubt about that. And, you know, he didn't even have stature of any kind. I mean, I, I suppose really wet. He'd never been taller than 5'8. You know, and uh, I I, I can't tell you how much I admire what Gary Player has accomplished. Traveling millions and millions of miles uh, on aircraft and, uh, you know, with all the respective jet lag and everything. I think, really, if anything,
1: Gary is underrated. Mr. Wright, I want to get your memories as well about Mr. Palmer. When we think about Masters Week and want to think about one of the greatest champions in Masters history, of course, we think of Mr. Palmer. Won four times and four times from 1958 to 1964. Uh, But then he, he sort of disappeared. We never saw him win another major after 1964. What happened with Mr. Palmer, do you think, that um, certainly one of the – maybe the game's greatest ambassador ever, but such a brief history well, for think, winning majors in that time?
2: Well, I think, you know, uh, Nicholas destroyed him. Uh, I I think uh, uh, a colonel would – I think he would tell him, put him away. Um, there was no question about that. Um, uh, but I was very surprised that he didn't win. I was with him when he won the Spanish Open in 1973 at La Manga Campo de Golf in Southern Spain, and he was he was over the moon because the last hole was a par five, and he birded it to win the event, and it was like he won the world. Championship. Uh, He he was so thrilled and delighted, and I think more than a little relieved. You know, Um, we've written him off by that time. I never wrote him off because he was the greatest gentleman who ever played the game, like like Bobby Jones. I mean, Bobby Jones and Long Palmer were two of the greatest guys who played the game falls on in the, their incredible gentlemanly behavior.
1: Mr. Wright, looking back over the Masters that, uh, that you broadcast and got to be a part of, I'm curious was, was there ever a time when a, a, a player was coming into where you were covering most of the time at 15 that you saw them take out a, an iron or hit a shot, and you're like, I cannot believe this guy's about to hit this shot. <laughs>
2: um, you know, uh, there so many dramatic things happened at 15 in those days. Because, as I used to say, uh, the heart would stop pumping at the top of the hill when the player decided. Whether or not to go for the green, because it looks a very shallow sliver from up there. But those were the days when they were hitting the long shot into 15. But of course, John Daly hit 9 on, and that was all over. And really, it's become a a dangerous far forward, really, now. In my opinion, you know, it, it's a shame, but um, that really broke the subject about they've got to have a bifurcation and get the pros play a ball that doesn't go so far because it's made a mockery of 15. And um, I I find that utterly tragic because it's one of the greatest golf holes in the world. And uh it's now become and of course it, it's if most of December gets a decent it we probably eating sanguine. I mean it's absolutely absurd.
1: The opposite side of that question is when you've been broadcasting and I know you know, like I say, how many great friends you had out there playing on tour was it was there ever a, a time when it was hard for you to kind of contain your personal thoughts and your personal excitement for what what was going on and somebody was achieving and uh kind of yeah. unfolding right there in front of you to kind of contain it and try to be as you know non-partial as you as you had to be
2: Yeah, you, you know, I never had any problem with that, Chris. I really had no favor. I, I really, I can honestly say that I just uh, called it as a story. Uh, there was never any feeling of, uh, you know, wanting anybody particular to win. I must say, I would have liked Sneak to win because he was a good friend and a fabulous traveling companion. Um, when he worked for A B C uh and I used to see him a lot in in England and Scotland and so on. But you know, um uh, I I never really played favorite. Um uh, of course people like Pat Sommel, my dear friend Pat Sommel would say that I was totally in favor of everybody's terror. Well, no, I mean, no, Tevi won the, his two masters and he lost 1986 to Nicholas and so be it. You know, that's the way it, it, it transpired. But I, I never was rooting for any particular player other than me. I do admit
1: that. So that begs the question. Of the masters that you got to be a part of, which are your favorites?
2: Well, obviously, Six um, had to be my favorite because of what makes us company. But I, I, you know, as I said earlier, I thought 75 was just as good because, you know, Weisskopf and Johnny Miller were obviously pretenders to Jack Dixon's pro. And uh, to have them all finished within a troop was truly a remarkable event. Um, there were many more wonderful masters. I mean, Ray Floyd in 1974. I mean, he almost lacked the field because he was so brilliant at the par five. Um, there were so many of them, you know. Chris, uh, they, they're, they're, I, I have been very fortunate to witness some of the great events of our time, you know. And I, I, I will uh, go to my grave saying that I was fortunate to be a witness to the golden era, and. Um, while I didn't have much to do with Tiger, I had much to do with practically everybody else, and uh, and of course now the you know the Kepkas and those guys are coming along, and uh, it's a it's a different game, very different game. It's uh, there's less sudden and more crashing back and uh, that's not my bag at all. In fact, um, you know, I think the Shemlow is very good for himself but I think he's very bad for the game. And uh, I noticed that Ian Woodham said the very same thing today in the uh, London Daily Telegraph. And I was very pleased to see that. But of course, He was a virtual midget. I mean, five foot four. And he won the Masters in 1991. And, um, you know, uh, it's a different game, isn't it, Chris?
1: Very much so. And I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts. If if Bryson's bad for the game, bad for the game, why? Because of how far he can hit it?
2: Well, I think... uh, I mean, the ball is just the only way they can address the situation. They're not yeah. going to be able to, they're not going to, can't change the club because you'll have a, uh, a million lawsuits. But But um, they could use one ball for the pros and one for the amateurs and let the amateurs hit it a million miles because they're not doing it for a living. They're just having fun. And, but it is, I think, quite ridiculous. And I, I don't blame the scandal. I blame the governing bodies for being so slow to have done anything about it. They're being slow about it. and I think they're, they're really to blame for the whole situation.
1: Mr. Wright, one more before I let you go. And I have to imagine over the course of your brilliant career, there have been a lot of times when somebody has pulled you aside to say how much your call or your broadcast or your personality or your being there has made a difference in their lives, because I know it's made a difference in mine. So I, I was curious, what moments looking back on your career have really touched you?
2: Oh, there have been so many, Chris. Um, You know, the fact that you want to hear from me when I'm 88 years old is something that I find incredibly touching. And I, I get correspondence from all sides, you know, to this very day. I wrote a piece recently for the Gulf Heritage Saudi magazine on my friendship with Mr. Van Hogan and I can't tell you how much correspondence I've had uh, since that article appeared and you know and it was something it was a throwaway speech I did in a couple of hours but I mean it's incredible Um, people do remember and I'm very touched and extremely fortunate to be uh, so well regarded at this ridiculous age.
1: <laughs> Mr. Wright, before I let you go, remind our listeners about your golf course, Cliff Valley, up there in Travelers Rest, South Carolina.
2: Yeah, a uh, nice little golf course. <laughs> uh, I no, listen Chris I I designed it to be user friendly and the beautiful thing is that it is so user friendly that it is easily the most popular of all the seven six courses purely in simple because it's fun and not too demanding but I've got to say in my favor, that they, the pros on the BMW tour, you know, that, that uh, or on or whatever, it's I can't remember the name. They change the name so often. But the players who have played my course in the BMW tournament uh, last year told me that, that they rated it the best golf course on their tour. So, uh, I
1: I rest (laughs) my (laughs) case. Indeed. (laughs) Well, Mr. Wright, it is always a huge privilege for me to get to spend this time with you. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time tonight and all the other times you have been a part of the show. Uh, It's something that I look forward to every single time when uh, you're gracious enough to tell me you'll come on. Uh, That becomes the most anticipated show of uh, of that time period. So. And tonight is no different. I can't thank you enough for being here and uh, all the wonderful stories that you have shared tonight and over the years. uh, You're a a national treasure.
2: Well, if you want me, I'm always
1: here. (laughs) And and I'll never stop wanting you. You'd be welcome.
2: You'd be welcome anytime. You're such a darn good person to talk to. I really appreciate it. Uh, more than you know.
1: Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you for saying that. But uh, moreover, I appreciate you. Um, you're just fantastic. So thank you so much for your time tonight. I'm already looking forward to uh, when the next time is in between now and then. I hope you'll stay safe and I uh, wish you good health and uh, happy holidays and look forward to the next time.
2: And the same to you. And I look forward to it too, Chris. Thank
1: Thank thank you, Mr. Wright. Take care, my friend. That's a great Ben Wright, folks, and it just never, ever gets any better than that. Um, To get the opportunity to, you know, pick his brain and and think about more of the stories and the things that he's covered uh, and to have his wisdom uh, shared is is just something you can't put words to. Um, His contribution to the game of golf and to broadcasting are immeasurable. Uh, I, I I say this sincerely, folks. When I go back and rewatch the broadcast and listen to his calls, and and just sort of close my eyes and let him draw what is happening, I don't even look at the video a lot of times. I just want to close my eyes and sort of soak in what he is painting for all of us and what he painted for us for, like I say, for 30 years on golf tournaments. It's outstanding. Um, you know, he. He doesn't talk when he's not supposed to talk, and he, he paints the idea of what is about to take place, and it's described so eloquently. I mean, I mean, look, just just the two that, that I mentioned, right? You go back to 75, that'll be evil music ringing in the Bears' ears. You know what just happened. You know Tom Weisskopf just made that putt, and you can see, you know, he kind of pans over to 16, Nicholas looking over his shoulder, and then essentially saying to himself, okay, Now I'm going to go do this, right? And Nicholas makes the putt on 16 and then goes on to win. And then, you know, the yes, sir thing, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, I have to believe Vern Lundquist had that in the back of his mind because Ben Wright said it a few holes ago. So that was the right thing to say. Not only was it the right thing to say when Nicholas makes the eagle on 15, it was the right thing to say on 17. Now, I mean, everybody gives Vern Lundquist the credit for it. And unfortunately, they don't they don't remember that Ben Wright did it 20 minutes ago and, and made that made that staple uh, a part of uh, the 86 Masters. So um, uh, just I, I can't tell you how much Mr. Wright means to me. Uh, he has made a difference in my life, made a difference in this show and what we've been able to do every single time he has been a part of it. So I can't thank him enough uh, for his contributions over the years, and I'm absolutely looking forward to the next time I am blessed enough to have him as part of the show. All right, my friends, it is time to, for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick, John Patrick, and Mr. Ben Wright for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, next On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And we're coming down to it, folks. Only a couple of more episodes uh, to go. So uh, we've got next week and then the week after. And then that's uh, that's going to be a wrap for this season. So Really looking forward to the next couple of weeks, and uh, I can't thank you enough for letting us continue to be a part of your golfing uh, content. You can find this show as a podcast. We are all over the net, folks. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're likely on it. We're on podcast.co, and that's .co. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Pod, uh, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. So we're all over the place. So, and you can even. Uh, you can find us. You can ask Alexa for us, and she's going to find, it, find uh, the show for you as well. So, folks, as always, I can't thank you enough for being here. Until next week, hit them straight, Mike.
0: like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle.